My sermon this morning is entitled, Working for the Weekend. You guys remember that song? Some of you remember when it was on the radio the first time. I, I only remember it as a classic rock song. But I too am coming under the classic rock curse because bands like Nirvana are now considered classic rock. Isn't that weird? There's some, if classic rock is 20 years old, then any music before 1999 is classic rock. That makes me feel very uncomfortable. And some of you older folks are like, yeah, join the club. I've been uncomfortable for a long time. I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like I'm perpetually roughly between 23 and 25 years old, even though my body gets older. And I keep having to remind myself, like, I'm getting older. And then I realize, like, I'm as old as my dad was when I remembered him. And he was so old when he was 31. And now I'm 31, and I'm like, man, he wasn't old at all. And all those times where I was like, does dad know what he's doing? He didn't know what he was doing, because I don't know what I'm doing. But I'm looked to as the adult, right? talking about working for the weekend because we've been focusing this summer, we've called it the summer of soul, and we've been focusing on matters of the heart and matters of the soul, matters that affect our emotions, matters that affect our creative energy, matters that affect our conflict with other people, matters that affect our connection to other people and our connection to God. And this text is a very interesting text because on one hand, it's just an account of a miracle, but on another it's also the account of Jesus reestablishing order to something that was lost in his day, and I also believe it's lost in ours. And what's interesting is, I didn't think it was lost until very recently. I thought I understood this and did this well. I thought I practiced this well. And then I found out that I really wasn't following the way of Jesus and what he taught. Hi. How are you, Gracie? needed a hug? <laughs> Hi. Okay. I love you. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you back to mommy, okay? <laughs> she always needs whichever one of us is busy. That's how it works. We're going to start at verse 10. In chapter 13 of Luke, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him. You know you're in trouble when it's the Lord answering you. Jesus says, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. And he, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put, to, were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. In North American culture, 
We have a culture that's created around the concept of working for the weekend. We have this idea that work happens Monday to Friday, and then on Friday, typically speaking, depending on your job, and I know some people now work shift work, and that's more popular than ever, but the common conception is that the weekend is different than the weekdays, and that on the weekend is when you rest, and on the weekdays is when you work. And I was talking with my friend Adam the other day, and we both observed how weird it was, as pastor's kids, that we only knew one day off and not two days off. And he said, you know, in the season that he was not able to go to church on Sunday mornings, he said, it was really weird for me to realize that the rest of the world took two days off because I was so used to Sunday being my dad's main day of work and for us to be super busy as a family. And so Saturday was like the only day off. And he was like, the first time I didn't go to church on Sunday morning, I was like, you mean there's another morning I can sleep in? And then he's like, and I was out in the park and all these people were just walking around and enjoying the sunshine and smelling the flowers. And I was like, this is amazing. And I was like, I'm still not there. (laughs) But not that this isn't restful. It's just different when, as a pastor's family, your world is designed around making sure a gathering like this takes place. And when I was a kid, my dad was also busy with Sunday evening service. And then there was a third early morning service for the seniors. I talked with Eric Johnson, who's the lead pastor of Bethel Church about this. And I just said, man, you know, like Sundays can be busy for pastors. And he was like, yeah, I totally understand that. He was like, we have four services in the morning and then Sunday evening service. So he's like, I'm up between 4.30 and 5 in order to make pre-service prayer and pre-service staff meeting. Then I preach three times across two campuses. Then I come home and have an hour nap, and I go back to church for pre-service prayer for Sunday evenings. And then I'm usually there till 10. So all in, I'm pretty much at the church like for about 14 hours. And I was like, oh man, I have it, I have it easy. <laughs> this isn't, we're not having the same conversation. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm overworked too. Like, oh, I got one service to go to. It's crazy. We're both so busy. <laughs> But people have different conceptions of work and different conceptions of busyness, and they have different boundaries around how they rest. And this story is interesting because it's not just a miracle testimony, it's symbolic of something bigger. You can read the Bible literally, but literalism is the lowest form of meaning. What literally happened, the events that happened factually, the report of what happened, is the lowest possible form of meaning. Why it happened and what it means is always built on top of what happened. This is not just a record of Jesus bringing freedom to a woman. This is an account of Jesus reforming Israel around its purpose because Israel knew itself through a at, she's bent over, she's literally burdened, she's bent over for 18 years, and he brings freedom to her. He brings liberty to her physical condition. When Jesus began his ministry, he stood up in his hometown and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim freedom to the captives. Now this was a prophetic scripture about the Messiah. But it's also the ground floor revelation of who God is in history and to everyone. 
The first way God reveals himself to you is not as creator. The first way he reveals himself to you is not even necessarily as father. The first way God always reveals himself to you is as liberator. And we see this in the story of Israel. Israel, in the book of Exodus, is caught in slavery. It's bound. It's forgotten Abraham's covenant. It's forgotten God's promise for them to be a nation. And they are bent over, just like this woman is. They are bent over because Pharaoh needs them to make bricks. And I always think of the song... uh, by Pink Floyd whenever I read the book of Exodus. All in all, you're just another brick in the wall. Which really is like the perfect song for that feeling of the grind. That feeling that you're not doing enough. That feeling that there's always more work to do. And there's always more bricks to make. Pharaoh has the people of Israel in bondage and Pharaoh is anointed by the gods of Egypt to be the sort of God king, the emperor who oversees the greatest empire on the planet, which at that time, of course, is Egypt. And the Israelites as slaves are submitted to the God king who tells them that they are what they can produce. All the other gods of this world measure you by how many bricks you can make. All the other gods define your worth and your identity by what you can produce. And so Pharaoh always needs more bricks. It doesn't matter how hard you work, you're going to have to work harder. Because Pharaoh demands that the production never stop. And in our modern day and age, we call this a booming economy. Because the work never ceases. And when the work is good, you got to work even harder. Because you got to keep up with the demand. And what ends up happening is people begin to be shaped by the gods of culture that are given voice in pharaohs who tell us that our worth is found in what we can produce. And what we can produce is never sufficient. So we better keep making more and more bricks. God encounters Moses and tells Moses to be the embodiment, literally a kind of incarnation of the liberator that God will be to the slaves. And Moses leads the people out of Egypt, demanding that Pharaoh and his gods can no longer have claim to Israel and Israel's identity. And they go out into the wilderness, and what is one of the very first practices that God teaches to a group of slaves who cannot even find themselves a meal in the desert? You must remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Think about how crazy this is for a group of slaves who have only ever been defined by how much they can produce, by how much they can add to the economy. For them to go out into the wilderness where God provides for them and the very first thing he teaches them, one of the very first things he teaches them is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. 
Now, where do we get the idea that the Sabbath day is holy? Well, funny enough, the Sabbath is actually the very first thing in the Old Testament that is ever called holy. On the seventh day, God rested and called that day holy, meaning set apart for a higher purpose. You see, God doesn't need to rest, but God chooses to rest because God has a concept of himself and of his creation that is not constrained by what we can create. God does not judge you by what you can produce. And God does not demand you make more bricks. So the Hebrew identity was fused with, instead of just a holy place like the temple, a holy space called the Sabbath, where you were forbidden to work because as you enjoyed the space that the Sabbath created, your true humanity came to the surface. As you enjoyed the space the Sabbath created, your soul got a chance to rest. As you enjoyed the space the Sabbath created, you became aware of your image and likeness as made in the image and likeness of God. To the Hebrews, when they rested on the Sabbath, they remembered that even God was resting with them. And that rest was never an accident. And rest was never the reward for doing enough work. Rest was always an intentional choice that you had to lean into and create space for. This is the reason why a Sabbath is not the same as a day off. Because have you ever noticed that when you take a day off, you're still not really resting? Like when you take a day off, there's a whole bunch of gardening to do and a whole bunch of Netflix to catch up on and a whole bunch of people who have problems that seem to want to drop their issues in your lap. Just how difficult is it to really create space for true rest to take place? I'd like to suggest to you that it's really difficult. And the reason why it's really difficult is the same powers and principalities that animated Pharaoh and Egypt are around today. The average person sees about 30,000 advertisements a year. Did you know that? Are you aware that you see 30,000 advertisements a year? Do you know what all of them tell you? You're not making enough bricks. And we live in this culture where we are so inundated with slavery messaging that keep us bound to the cycles of commerce that demand we must produce more and consume more. Produce more and consume more. If you make enough money, you can afford that car and the payments are gonna be super low and you won't, have to, you won't have to pay the price until later. And it's constantly this endless cycle of demand and production and consumption. And then people get caught up in anxieties and pressures that they cannot sustain. And they end up feeling like slaves in their own life. And so what does God do? He steps into humanity's story as a liberator. And he first gets the slaves out of Egypt and then he spends 40 years getting Egypt out of the slaves. Because what we discover is that when God frees you, he can unlock your chains, but it takes you a lot longer to let him unlock your mind. 
Because having the mentality of a slave is a lot harder to uproot than simply bringing physical liberation to the captives. We know this is true because of things like Stockholm Syndrome, because of things like PTSD, those who deal with war, those who have maybe become POWs in a time of conflict, they're still mentally in chains, even if they're physically liberated. And so God brings a nation of slaves out into the desert, and one of the first things he teaches them is that the Sabbath is holy. So let me be really practical and, uh, and accessible for you. I would advise you to observe the Sabbath. Now, I believe that in the New Covenant, every day is a Sabbath day, meaning that the kind of rest that heaven offers is available to us 24-7, 365 days of the year. Okay? But, feeling and experiencing that kind of rest happens when we commit to the ritual of honoring a day where we create space for human flourishing as an act of worship. Like, let me be super practical. There's actually a setting on your oven called the Sabbath setting. And it's for Orthodox Jews because Samsung and Hitachi and all these other companies, I don't know if Hitachi sells ovens, but all the oven makers, they want to sell to the Orthodox Jewish market because that's a lucrative market, right? So there's a Sabbath setting where you can actually load your oven with food and have it preset to cook for you on the day where you're supposed to be resting. Did you know that? It actually takes work to prepare to rest, but it's a different kind of work. It's the kind of work that honors the space you're creating when you're resting. Like if you choose to quote unquote take a day off, what you'll find is the day off becomes a head-on collision with all of the other anxieties and stresses of your life. But if you choose to honor a day as a day of worship and you commit yourself to saying that at least for one day a week, I will not be a slave. I will not be a slave to consumerism. I will not be a slave to productivity. I will not be a slave to anxiety. I will not be a slave to trying to solve all the issues that are in my life. I will let the weeds grow in the garden. I will let the dishes pile up in the sink. And I will do it as an act of worship. I'm, I'm giving you guys real, real powerful breakthrough. Men, I'm sorry, honey. Those dishes are in the sink because I am worshiping the Lord right now. And then all you do is you just kneel. You just kneel before the Lord. <laughs> it sounds silly. It sounds silly and it sounds counterintuitive. And you know what? It's actually counterintuitive to Pharaoh's way of defining human nature. Because this is what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness, right? The Israelites in the wilderness were permitted to pick up manna from the ground six days of the week. And on the sixth day, they got enough for two days. God was so committed to teaching them the Sabbath that he didn't want them to pick bread up off the ground on the Sabbath. Do you understand the kind of discipline and self-restraint it takes to protect your own rest? I have a setting on my phone called Do Not Disturb. I turn it on on, we don't call it the Sabbath, we call it family day. On family day, I am unreachable. Unless there's a, a, a crisis, an emergency, unless someone is bleeding, I cannot be found. I don't look at my email, I don't pay bills, and we do not make food. 
Well, I mean, we pour cereal into the bowl for breakfast and we go to like McDonald's or something for, for supper, right? Something healthy. <laughs> but you know what I found out? I found out that we needed to eat out more nights of the week when we didn't respect the Sabbath. Because when we went into having a day of rest where we actually purposed within ourselves that we would not even do the work of preparing food, what I found out was that I didn't need to try to keep up with life six of the other days of the week. That by honoring God and treating my own human flourishing as an act of worship, by getting out of whatever anxieties and stresses by whatever means necessary on the day of rest I had chosen, what I discovered that was my soul came alive. And because it came alive, the other days of the week suddenly made sense and had an order and a purpose. And I no longer felt like I was overwhelmed and overworked and running out of time and at the end of my rope 24-7. Like, have you ever noticed one of the most demonic things that happens in our culture is that we have glorified and honored being busy as some sort of badge of honor. Oh, how you doing? I'm busy. Oh, I'm so busy. Are you busy? Oh, man, you know, it never ends. Never ends, just busy. We just sound like a bunch of slaves. And the crazy thing is that not only were the Israelites in bondage, but so were the Egyptians. Because when they left, God said, tell Pharaoh that he's got to throw in all the riches of, of, uh, of Egypt, right? And what ends up happening? The Israelites leave with a hole, a massive hole of wealth and gold and resources that what? Enslaved the Egyptians. Some people are enslaved to their stuff. I need to work hard so that I can buy the boat that I can't afford so that I can make the payments for the vacation, I'll for the time at the lake I'll never be able to take. We know these people, right? We are these people. And we go around, we glorify it. Well, I'm just so busy. So busy. You don't have to be busy. You actually don't have to measure your life by how many bricks you make. But in order to do that, you're going to have to observe your life differently and make your rest a form of worship. Yep. <laughs> you know what was the most convicting thing, I think, in, in all of 2019? This will go down as the most convicting thing that the Lord has said to me. There's still time left. Misha's <laughs> like, you've got plenty more to be convicted about. <laughs> I know what's going on. Jesus said, do not worry. He wasn't saying it as a suggestion. He said it as a command. Yeah. We're all like, that's not possible, Jesus. I'm full of anxiety. I've got tons of things to be stressed out about. Jesus says, do not worry. And then here's why. He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they neither toil nor spin. And yet Solomon in all of his grandeur was not clothed such as one of these. Okay. Jesus says, don't worry. And then he says, consider the lilies. I discovered that I worry because I don't consider the lilies. I have anxiety in my life because I don't follow Jesus' instructions about going for a walk and stopping and looking at the flowers. <laughs> Jesus is not being suggestive. He's saying, go for a walk 
where wildflowers grow and really look at them until you understand that the way your heavenly father looks after them is the way your heavenly father looks after you. And I discovered that I never had time to take a walk in my life. Who has time to go for walks? What's the point of a walk? Like if I go for a run, I get there faster and hopefully I lose a little bit of weight. But what's the point of going for a walk? A walk is what old people do. A walk is what my grandma did at the mall in Lethbridge when she needed a bit of exercise, right? And her and the old ladies would do this all the time. She would even do it at home. She'd make a circuit between the living room and the kitchen. And when we were homeschooled, she'd be like, Connor, Caitlin, it's time for your exercises. And we'd march around the living room with grandma. And I was like, I'm so glad I'm homeschooled so that none of the other kids can see me. This is humiliating. I realize I'll never have time to take a walk unless I make time to take a walk as an act of obedience to follow Jesus so that only for one purpose, I can go and find flowers and look at them and smell them. You say, that sounds silly. It is silly. It feels ridiculous. I've done it now. I'm a 30-year-old man. Like, ooh, that's lovely. People are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Trying to follow Jesus, I guess. But, uh, but I'm here to let you know that when you actually look at a flower, like when you actually really stare at it and meditate on it, you feel less anxious. It actually does work. The kind of life where you can actually stop and consider the lilies is the kind of life where you can discover by experience and not just by theory that your heavenly father looks after you. And then you feel less like a slave. So Jesus is freeing this woman as an act of resistance against an oppressive culture that makes everyone suffer under backbreaking labor. This woman is hunched over under a burden, but she is a prophetic symbol of how everyone is hunched over under a burden. No one is really truly free. We say all the time, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good, I'm good. But if you really dig down underneath the surface, we're full of anxieties and stresses and pressures and expectations that make our lives feel like slavery. And Jesus liberates this woman and what happens? The religious establishment says, there are six days for working and one day for the Sabbath. She should have come on any other day to be freed from her burden. What has happened? The religious establishment has made the Sabbath into another form of bondage. They've made it into a tribal identity that actually becomes part of the thing that keeps people locked up and bound up. Jesus frees this woman as a prophetic act that the reason why you have a Sabbath is so that you can do works of love and justice in your community. See, everything I said about resting and not being a slave is true, but it's actually not just for you. It's for everyone else around you. We are like seeds buried into the ground of culture that bring up a different way of being and a different way of organizing the world. Have you ever noticed that you would like to get to know your neighbors more, but you never have time for them? You would like to go to a coffee shop and read a book, but you're way too busy for that? You would like to perhaps have a conversation with someone who is hurting and actually give them a part of your heart, but you're pretty exhausted and mentally and emotionally beat down as it is. 
The point of having a Sabbath is not just so that you can rest. The point of having a Sabbath is so that you can be an outlet of rest for other people. Because everybody else is under a burden. And when you take an entire day out of your week and you honor it as holy unto the Lord, that's the space where you can give to other people. Now, if you're anything like me, you say this. But that sounds like the opposite of rest. Like if I'm going to go around caring for other people on my Sabbath, then how am I ever, how am I ever supposed to look after me? It's a good question, but it's a slave's question. And the reason why is when you honor God with a day that's holy unto the Lord, you discover that you have the energy for not just the day, but the week and not just the week but your family and other families, not just for yourself, but for your neighborhood. And you become the person by which other people enter into the rest of the Lord. Paul in Hebrews 4 says that even though the children of Israel were promised to rest, they never really entered into it. They observed the Sabbath day, but they never realized that being free from anxieties and stresses and the pressure of having to make supper and the pressure of having to respond to that text... They never realized that being free from that was actually able to give them the energy to be the gift of rest to other people. So this is why I think we've lost something that we need to regain. We need to regain an honor for the Sabbath. You don't have to call it the Sabbath. You can call it a family day. And in my opinion, you don't have to pick one particular day of the week. Like we can't because of Leisha's shift work. It wouldn't be fun for her if I'm like, hey, you know, I'm sorry, you chose to be a nurse, so our day of rest is while you're working. <laughs> so our, our family day floats a little bit. And Walter Brueggemann says that this is so countercultural and so difficult that you're actually going to need to do it in community. But if you commit to creating space, if you commit to going for a walk so that you can discover that you don't have to be anxious... If you can commit to a life where you will not let the world teach you that you are a slave anymore. You'll not let the 30,000 advertisements you see here tell you that you need to continue to slave away at production, consumption, production, consumption until you die. That you don't have to be just another person who's working for the weekend. Been so busy, but it's going to be nice to just take a load off. (laughs) That instead, by honoring God and making space for your true image and likeness to emerge, suddenly you discover within yourself the capacity to be that gift to other people. And believe me, you don't have to save the world. It's just when you see a woman who's bent over with an affliction for 18 years, you don't ignore her because of your tradition. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like if you literally have created space so that the Sabbath gives you nothing to do, suddenly you do have time to just bring some cookies to your neighbor. Cookies that you made, not on the Sabbath. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? You structure your life in order to be the place of rest, the place of release, so that as you become free from your slavery, you make other people aware that they don't have to be slaves anymore either. (sighs) Jesus is bringing us all out of Egypt. He's bringing us all through the wilderness of our own mindsets, our own trapped ways of being. He's always the liberator. Galatians 5.1 says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Do you know that God's goal is not, like the Holy Spirit's work on the earth is not first and foremost about making everyone into Christians. It's first about making everyone free. And free for freedom's sake. Like his goal is actually that you would not be anxious. His goal is that you would not be depressed, that you would not be bound. And that is the same goal that he has for every single person on the planet. Like when you're in traffic and someone cuts you off and, and, uh, and flips you off, that person is expressing their bondage. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you see someone who's like loaded, they've got so much money, they don't know what to do with it, and yet they're just bound by this payment and that payment, and they've got three mortgages, and they're just stressed by work, that person is in bondage. That's actually slavery. And God is bringing liberty to us all. The truth of your, of your nature, the truth of the image and likeness of God that he's placed within you, it's going to set you free. When you give space for that to flourish, for you to experience it, you become free. And at first, when you actually create space for a day that's holy unto the Lord, that truth makes you miserable. <laughs> because it's actually easier to just let life pile up. It's easier to be busy. It's easier to be stressed. It's easier to be at the mercy of other people's expectations. It's easier to let your phone continue to text you when someone's stressing you out than to actually make the sacred act of turning your phone off so they can't talk to you anymore. But it's so worth it to create space for God's liberty to really infuse your mind and your heart and your being. So, let's become people who are willing to enter into the rest that God has prepared for us. God has prepared a rest for you. And it is your choice to enter into it. He cannot force it upon you because he's not like the gods of Egypt. He's not making a demand, but he's giving you an invitation. <laughs>